Today we uh, continue uh, looking at the future things and um, it's a great study uh, to take to our heads. It's important for us to understand the Word of God and to apply it in our lives. Yet, it should do something more for us than just knowledge and information and intellect and be sad if we just read the Bible and understood it and, and nothing changed in us. So I'm always reminded as I read about future events and begin to look at how it unfolds and try to interpret it, that some fascinating things that God has in store for us. And it's important for me to get a grasp on those. And I feel the accountability each Sunday when I stand up here and work hard to accurately um, portray truth and work hard in the study to uh, find what I believe the text is saying. And yet, that is one piece of why we need this information. The primary part is that that not only we're hearers of the word, but we're doers too. And so as we hear this word today, my hope is this, that we don't walk away and saying, oh, that's what that means. Oh, that explains that. Oh, that, that's fascinating. Or, wow, I didn't know that before. But somehow when we are engaged with Christ and, and the illumination of his spirit as we read his word, that God fills us with this truth and then we play it out. We live our lives out. It'd be a shame if we came and gathered and just got information and increased our knowledge and we didn't become doers of the word. And so today, as I walk through this text, my hope is that that is the case. And, and jumping in, this is your first service of the day. I'm coming out my second time. I've already stood in front of a group of people and I'll do it again at 1130 and and so I've already witnessed God work in people's hearts. And so often I walk into this environment and God has already been up to something. He's already been moving. And it's like this room has been filled with his presence because of other worshipers who came before you. And his presence was heavy in this room. And we've already witnessed already because of the work of Jesus Christ and the prayers of the saints, we've already seen people cross from death to life uh, in the first service. And so when you walk in here, it's like, I'm already messed up. <laughs> um, and so my hope is this, that, that you get my heart today. Uh, that I don't want to be known as a good expositor, someone who understands scripture alone. But I want to be known as someone who hears the word and does it. And I want you to be known that way. Last week, we saw clearly from the future things that Satan was tossed from heaven. And that was covered in a, a great way by Pastor Rich. And today I'm reminded of that as I jump into the text with you that that was a pretty significant moment in future times. And I'm reminded that because I know what the future says, that I was there thinking forward, and you were there who are Christ followers. We got to see that. And so I'm reading through the lenses of that when I looked at Revelation 12 uh, this morning and last week, that it said that when Satan was tossed, he was furious. And it said that there were onlookers and there were people we know because we've been raptured. We got to witness that. We get to witness that tossing taking place. Um, that's awesome. Uh, and uh, so when I read through this chapter today, I know he's been tossed. I will have been able to see that, and you will too, as Christ followers, and he is angry. And, and so... Why is he angry? Why is he so angry? Because he knows his time is short. Let me just say it this way. Satan is an incredible student of the word of God. Probably, probably better than most of us. And here's why. He knows who his arch enemy is. And any great general, any great leader, any great 
supervisor, supervision. By the way, a person that's a supervisor or supervision should have supervision. And he has looked, he has read, he has studied his enemy, God. And so he has read the handbook of the general who we call God. He's read it from front to back. And so as he reads through scripture, he begins to try to strategize to change the direction, and he thinks he can, of what has already been decreed from the foundation of the world. So Satan is an incredible student of God's word. We know that when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He came back with him and tried to twist truth. So he has studied God's word. And why do I say he has read about his future? So when he was tossed from heaven, there was a part of him was saying he was upset because of this. He couldn't stop God from doing it. Now, think about that if you want to win. A lot of us are semi-competitive. And some of us really want to win. I don't believe that there was ever anybody more competitive other than Jesus Christ himself wanting to win than Satan. And when you are confronting with this arch nemesis of yours that you want to defeat, and he says, see you later, and you can't do anything about it, fury and wrath laced his veins. He knows his time is short. How does he know it? He's read the Bible. And so the reality hits him. He is filled with fury. And he can't stop God. And he wants to get as many other people to believe the lie and to spend eternity in hell. Let me just say it this way. Satan doesn't want people to be rescued. Satan is a God who kills, stills, and destroys. He's only bent on wreaking havoc on people. And so now he's tossed, now he's thrown to earth, and now he wants to bring as many people and deceive as many people as possible to not follow God because he knows his time is short and the time is coming where he and the Antichrist and the false prophet will be thrown into a lake of fire. So out of that comes this next passage that we're going to look into. And by the way, when Satan is thrown to earth, we know that he's the father of lies, that na- his native tongue is lies. And by the way, he does that now. You w- I watch it happen all the time. He's the father of lies. You watch an earthly or biological or adoptive father step out of a child's life, and you will watch the father of lies step in and feed and whisper to this person, this girl, God, that, that, that they're not good enough, that they don't have what it takes, that they should take their life, that they should do this or that because the biological or adoptive father has left, and Satan steps in, and he's the father of lies. As soon as the biological adoptive father steps away, Satan steps in as the father of lies. And he will continue that until his last breath. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to see what he does as a result of getting tossed from heaven and turn to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up, and we'll, we will put one in your hand. Turn to Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. As you're turning there, I want to go back to the timeline for you to give you perspective and so that you can continue to, to travel with me. This would be today. This would be the rapture. We've already looked at that. We know that there's seven years of tribulation and it's divided into two halves. The first three and a half years and the second three and a half years. We've looked at the first half. And then we saw where Satan was tossed out of heaven. So he's tossed. Satan is tossed. And now we know that the second half of the tribulation, which the Bible says is even worse, is called the great tribulation. This is where the fury of God is unleashed. And so today we are going to look, spend a majority of our time right in this period right here. We know what follows that. And we know what follows that. We know that the second coming of Christ is here. And the battle of Armageddon takes place here. 
We know that there's a thousand year millennial reign. We also know that Satan is bound here and he's released at the end of the thousand year, thinking that somehow he can come back. We also know this from scripture, that there's a small portion of time, and we'll look at that briefly in the weeks ahead, right before this, this period of time, you have the seven years of tribulation, the millennial reign, right before the period of time where, where we actually are thrown into the eternal state, we know that this to be true, that there's a judgment that takes place in the first, there's a cleansing of the temple, there's a judgment, and it's the judgment of the goats and the sheep. It's a judgment that's referred to in Matthew 25. The goats are the unsaved, those that took the mark of the beast during the tribulation period. The sheep are those who, in fact, are Christ's followers. And so today, we are looking at this period of time right here. And this is what we're about to read. Satan is tossed. He's being thrown out. Stand with me and we'll read it together. Revelation chapter 13. Let's read it, verses 1 through 4 out loud. Ready, read. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed, stop there, One of the heads, what's the word of the beast? What's the word? Seemed. That's important. It shows in the original Greek. Seemed to have, go ahead, a fatal wound. But the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? You may have a seat. Right away, we're going to be introduced to what I would call the evil trio. And so we have the three in one that we know today as the Trinity. And if you come to Grace Community, you will hear us when we baptize people. We'll say we baptize you in the name of the Father, Matthew 28, and the name of the Son, and of the name of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the triune Godhead. We believe that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we baptize, it's a remembrance and and reminding us, an ordinance that says we're doing it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we know the Trinity as God. We could say Jesus Christ. Or you could say God the Father. And we know as the Holy Spirit. So we see the three in one. There's also an evil trinity, evil trio that's going to come on the scene. And we will know them as the evil trio. And they are referred to, it's interesting. Satan always tries to imitate. Satan always, he can't, he can't do what Christ can do. He can't resurrect dead people back. So he tries to mock and deceive. And so he has come up with his own trio. We have Satan. We have, instead of Christ, we have anti-Christ. And instead of the Holy Spirit, we have something that's anti-Holy Spirit. We have the false prophet. Because the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. And so the role are very similar. And you're going to see that in this text today. And so you have the evil trio. And so you have the three and the three. And in this text, we find out that this dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, and it had ten horns. We find from this text that Satan, you saw it last week, that Satan is referred to as the dragon. The lion that's spoken of here. Look again at this. Look, it's interesting, the language that John uses in verse 2. The beast I saw resembled a leopard who had feet like those of a bear and mouth like that of a lion. Now, the lion represents regal power. In other words, he's a ruler. And so we know that the Antichrist is a ruler. He will rule. He comes on the scene initially for peace. He tries to gather nations together because they need peace. The world's in total disarray. And so he comes on 
in a regal way as a ruler. We also note the bear represents ferociousness. A bear is ferocious. He's thrown out of heaven, Satan is, and now the evil three, the trio, is going to take a ferocious attack on those who are still alive during the tribulation. A leopard is known for its speed. Satan knows his time is short, so he will move quickly. He only has three and a half years to move. And we're going to see from the text that Satan himself indwells the Antichrist, the beast. It's an interesting analogy there, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But he will move quickly to establish worldwide dominion. Up to this point, he's been a peacemaker. And he, but now his true colors will be revealed. And Satan himself will dwell within the beast or the Antichrist. And people will be surprised by the change in his behavior. Let me ask you this question. I get asked this question often. Up to this point, if in fact the Antichrist is alive right now, how would you respond to this question? If you were asked this question like I have many times, can the Antichrist be saved? If in fact he's alive today, is it possible for the Antichrist to repent? When we read scripture in 2 Peter, it says God is willing that none should perish. We know he's a human being living on earth. If he's alive today, is it possible for him to repent and be saved? Now, before you answer that question, how would you back that up biblically? Where would you go to say more than I believe he can't or would you just be able to defend that? Could you defend that from scripture? Let me tell you what I believe to be true. I don't think it's possible for the Antichrist, if he's alive today, to repent. And there's two reasons. One, God's decreed will is declared that this would unfold and that the Antichrist will fulfill his mission. And secondly, I would go to Scripture and say that because it's written, because it's written, this is his destination, that if we can somehow change the pages of God's word and the truth that's already recorded, then this isn't God's word. And the fact is this, his destination, his destiny has already been written. He can't repent. People have asked that me about Satan. Is it possible for Satan to repent? And some say, well, it's possible. No, it isn't possible because it's been written. It's been declared. It's already shown us in Revelation that he's thrown into the lake of fire. The plan has been written and you can't change the words and the authority. And if you do, then your Bible is no longer inerrant and no longer infallible. So he can't. Now, if he can't repent, think about this for a second. Think about how he can deceive people. For the first time, I shared this this morning, for the first time in my 51 years of life, I've never felt this emotion like I felt this week. Picture if you can, back away, just pull away. If the Antichrist is alive today, someone had asked me this, does he know he's the Antichrist? How would you answer that? Do you think the Antichrist knows he's the Antichrist? If Satan doesn't dwell in him until the second half of the tribulation, does he know that he's the Antichrist? Does, does this person, if he's alive today, that could be ruling in our country or other countries, is it, does he know he's the Antichrist? I personally believe he doesn't know that he's the Antichrist. And here's why. Because I think that makes him more convincible. If he really believes that he's doing things for a noble cause, if he really believes that he's trying to gather troops together and, and, and bring peace to the world, I believe he would be more convincing. Imagine sitting with this person who doesn't know their Antichrist, thinking that somehow what they're doing is a noble cause. By the way, there are, great, there are many, many people who are good people who are unsaved, who do good things. They fall short of the glory of God. They're not saved. But they think they're doing really, really good things, and they do some noble things. Imagine this Antichrist. Imagine when the rapture occurs, the first half of the tribulation, he steps in. He, he tries to convince. Imagine sitting with him and through tears he's saying this. I'm doing this to bring peace to this world. If he knew he was, I believe you would pick up on the deception quicker. 
It's my food for thought. Now, here's a thought that I've never had in my entire life until this week. I felt compassion for the Antichrist if he's alive today. You can do with that whatever you want to do with it. He is lost, as lost can be, and will spend eternity and becomes a pawn of Satan. And then the next step was, I began feeling compassion for people groups that haven't been real easy for me to feel compassion towards. All of a sudden, this layer became unpeeled off of my heart for this group of people who are in jail because of this and because of that and because of this. And let me ask you a question today. Are there people groups in your life and people in your life that you wish that somehow they would just burn in hell because they've done this and they've done that and they've done this? What does that say about our hearts? When we serve a God that's willing that none should perish. So as I was studying this week, I, I found myself just saying, wow, here is a guy that's going to be used as a pawn. And Satan's going to dwell him. And when Satan dwells him, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 to 10 says he's indwelt by Satan. And when he indwells the Antichrist, then he knows he's the Antichrist. But look what happens to this, this Antichrist, the beast. Look again in verse 3, it says this. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal what? But the fatal wound had been what? The whole world was filled with what? Wonder, astonishment, and followed the what? Why did they follow the beast? Because they saw something supernatural take place. It says that it seemed like he had a fatal wound. In other words, it appeared that he died. And so there's going to be this time as soon as Satan is thrown out of heaven at the beginning of the the second half of the tribulation, the Antichrist comes on the scene, the beast, he's filled by Satan. At one time he was controlled by demons. Now he's being controlled and manipulated by Satan himself. And it says that this Antichrist dies, appears that he dies. And everyone knows it. You know, up to that time, he's been this, this leader. He's been this guy that's bringing people together and trying to build an army. And now it says he comes on the scene and he dies. And it says he's raised back to life. He's healed. Now, when you see something that's supernatural, it gains your attention. This week, in between watching uh, college football and the Orioles pull one out in the bottom of the tent, that was awesome yesterday, I flipped through the history channel and on the history channel was this guy that they were said had supernatural powers i was intrigued just like you are and so i watched this guy on the history channel that could take a spoon and they said that he had this power this heat in his hands that could cause metal to bend and so i watched and and he's holding it out like this and he took his hand like this and all of a sudden this this spoon just bent right over and it's like Wow. And so there was this skeptic that was there. And he brought along a science test with him. And he brought along this heat register gauge with it, to, to infrared, to see what was going on. And so he showed, put this machine on there to see if there was heat, and there wasn't heat. And he says, let me have that thing. I don't believe what just took place. So he too. He said, okay, I'll give you the, I'll give you the spoon. So he stuck the spoon in, the fan, in, the, in his hand, and I'm watching you know, forget baseball right now. Just what's going on here? And I watched this. He stuck in his hand. He says, all right, now close your hand. And you know, he wasn't making sure this could happen. So I'm watching on TV. I'm watching this. He says, now open your hand. Because he went up to him like this. You know, he opened it up. And the spoon was bent completely over. Now, did that happen? Is it possible? Let me just say this to you today. We have an arch nemesis who has supernatural power. We have a God who has supernatural power that can trump the power of the enemy who has some superior power. It doesn't compare to our God. And the reason I say this today is this. If you recall in the Old Testament, Baal and his worshipers were able to do some pretty amazing things to match God. And people that were watching were like, wow, how'd they do that? God did it, and they did the same thing. How is it possible? Let me just say this this way. There is an enemy who has counterfeit 
supernatural ability to produce things. And the reason he does them is so that we're in awe and wonder and think, wow, that must be God. Here's what else I know to be true. If you are only trusting in a God because of a supernatural ability, then you got to ask this question, are you trusting by faith and faith alone or in supernatural ability? If it was only by supernatural ability, then it would be easy to trust God. And so Satan will go all out during this time to expose and try to woo and deceive through his supernatural abilities. Seriously, ask yourself this question. If the enemy didn't have supernatural ability and only God did, then wouldn't everyone want to go after the supernatural God? But we know that we're not saved by seeing only. It's by believing and trusting by faith in the God who was able to do it. Remember the two witnesses a few weeks back that we looked at that were in the street and they died and then they were resurrected in front of everyone and then they were ascended into heaven How did that happen? The same kind, I believe, of technology will take place here. Because it says the whole world was stood in wonder. The whole world was astonished. And it says as a result of that, that the people will follow after the Antichrist. And in fact, it says, who is like the beast? Like, who could do that? Who can wage war against him if he can be resurrected? Isn't it interesting, though? Let's just pull away. And I know it's not all the same, but think about this. When Jesus came, he came in an incarnate form, and he was in the flesh and blood of a man. And he walked on planet Earth, and he did miracles, the Bible says. He had to come to die. Isn't it interesting that Satan himself, he realizes that people will follow a man, and they'll follow a God little God. And so he comes and he fills himself into the very presence and shape and, and, and volume of the Antichrist. And he tries to mock even the incarnation of Jesus Christ. All he can do is imitate. Now think about this also for a second. People are watching this during this time. Keep in mind, Satan can only do to what God allows him to do. So how will this mock resurrection take place? Come on, if Satan is the prince of the air, and by the way he is, he's the prince of the airwaves. And so the airwaves he's in charge of, Hollywood can produce some pretty convincing things with video. Even if today Christ came and raptured the church, imagine how quickly throughout social media Satan could concoct a video that looked true. If he's the prince of the air, we know he's a prince of the airways, and I believe it'll happen through the airways. They'll, they'll deceive the masses with this video, much like Hollywood does, of what isn't true but looks like truth. Imagine, imagine what's happening in our world today with cloning and nanotechnology and robotics. Satan himself fills the beast with his physical presence. Whatever it is, we know that Satan can't bring anyone back to life. And that's why it's important to see it seemed like he had a fatal wound. Only Christ can do this. Look what happens next, Revelation chapter 13. So you have this beast, all of a sudden he was dead. He's dead, he has a fatal wound, the world's watching. And all of a sudden he comes back to life. And now everyone wants to run to him. It's like, who could wage war? We need help. We'll follow you. And look what he does. Look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 5 through 10. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opens its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in what book? The Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. By the way, that's a very important verse when it comes to theology. It tells us that Christ died from the foundation of the world, that it happened before and God knew past, present, and future. He came and died before the foundation of the world was even created. That's how much God loves us. 
Verse 9, whoever has ears, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on part of God's people. And so there will be control over everyone. He will be hunting down everyone he can to, to, to get them to, to trust him. He'll be hunting down every person who doesn't have right now the mark of the beast. He wants to bring more people in and convince them, hey, guess what? I'm God. For those tribulation saints, it says, and it tells us in Thessalonians that even if possible, the elect, the saved could be deceived. And so it's going to be so convincing that even there will be some who will look at that and say, wow, that must be God. And he'll deceive them to believe that it is, and they'll take the mark of the beast. And so he's on a pursuit to get them. Look at verses 11. Look what happens next. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had how many horns? Like a lamb. What? When's the last time you saw a horn with lambs? Or a lamb with two horns? Read on with me. Seriously. But it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been what? And it performed what? Great signs. Another. Do miraculous things. Even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Why? To deceive them to think, I'm God. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in the honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. So the false prophet gave breath to the Antichrist who's filled with Satan so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be what? killed. And so this image is speaking. Maybe it's robotic image. Maybe it's similar to cloning. I don't know what it is, but it's very convincing. And all of a sudden this image that was supposedly dead, had a fatal wound, is now speaking because this false prophet is speaking into it. And it has the power to kill anyone it wants to. Read on with me. Because of the signs it was given in verse 14 to perform behalf of the first be deceiving inhabitants of the earth, it ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast. And the second beast was given power to breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Verse 16. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave. In other words, everybody that, had, that they were trying to convince that was there to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads. We talked about this a few weeks back. So that they could not buy or sell unless they had the what? Which is the name of the what? Or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man. That number is 666. Like I said a few weeks ago, I believe that's reference to it's one short of seven, the perfect number, 666. Another beast, the second part of the evil trinity, the false prophet coming out of the saint. The false prophet is a religious leader who will incite men to worship the Antichrist. He comes on like a lamb, and people will be suckered into his lies because he speaks like a, dra a, a dragon. Do you remember when Jesus was in a conversation in Matthew chapter 7, and he was looking at his disciples and his followers, and he says, Beware of those who come in sheep's clothing, but they are wolves. Wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. Beware. The outside they might look Beware of this lamb who looks gentle, meek, helpful. Beware because it has two horns. It's ferocious. It's ready to attack. It's evil. And so we see this clearly here. A lamb that comes on the scene that looks gentle and meek. And all of a sudden, it attacks. Fire comes from his mouth. Just like Jesus referred to in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. And he performs amazing arsenal of fire display. 
They build an image of the first beast, the Antichrist, an idol that speaks. Once again, technology makes the image speak. So Satan tries to deceive the masses. So imagine all this going on. Man, it's like, wow. People are watching like this resurrection of this dead person. And then he has power to bring down fire from heaven. The trio's all working together. And it's like people are running to get the mark of the beast because they believe, wow, you can help me. And meanwhile, there's this small group, a core group of tribulation saints who have yet to follow Satan who are watching all this. And then it's an interesting passage out of nowhere. It's like John sees this on the island of Patmos. And it's like, it's like an interlude. All of a sudden, he goes from that chaotic, devilish moment to this moment. Like, five verses. These five verses have encouraged me over the years, and I hope they'll encourage you today. Out of nowhere, there's this reminder to stay faithful. Look at Revelation chapter 14. Then John said this, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, Jesus, standing on Mount Zion. And with him were how many people? Who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang what kind of song? Before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the what? 144,000. Who had been redeemed from where? The earth. That's important. These are those who did not defile themselves with women. In other words, they kept pure. They remained virgins. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb and no lie was found in their mouths. They are what? Let me propose to you what I believe this group is and why. This is a very faithful group. I'm going to propose to you, and I believe this, that I'll try to defend this, and it's not a majority view, but it's a minority view, that this 144,000 is different than 144,000 witnesses. I believe that this is a different group of men. I believe that, and I'm going to tell you why I believe that, and I'm going to show you why I believe that and why it's important that this is part of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 7, we looked back a few weeks ago at the 144,000 witnesses. From that text, we know that they were Jewish descent. This passage in Revelation chapter 14 says that they came from the earth among men. When you come from the earth, the possibility means there can be many nationalities, many races, many tribes. Secondly, one of the reasons I believe this is a different group of men. Because both the Father and the Son are sealed on them, are written on, the, on their foreheads. In Revelation chapter 7, it's only the seal of the Father on their foreheads. Another reason I believe that this is a different group from Revelation 7. Revelation 7, it says we know after reading that they eventually are slain and they're laying under the altar of the Lamb. I also believe this because Revelation 14 says it here that they're purchased among men on earth. A different group of men. And I believe that they followed him their whole lives. Now, why is any of this important? John looks to heaven and he sees 144,000, by the way, five verses in scripture. And he says, there's a select group of men who have a list of things that they've done in order to be God's inner circle. In fact, the name of God is written on their foreheads. They're redeemed from the earth. They're purchased among men. They were first born again by acknowledging Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then it tells us in verse 4 that they're morally pure. They were virgin. Here's what I believe this group is. They did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. It's the Greek word parthenos, which means literally a virgin. It's the only passage in Scripture where this Greek word is used in the context and referring a man being a virgin. Here's what this means, I believe. I believe that there's a select group of men, 144,000 men, that God has scanned since the foundation of the world 
who one day will be his inner circle. And one of the qualifications of serving him and being acknowledged and bringing him glory and praise is by living, living a morally pure life. That means this. That means remaining pure, a virgin, before you get married. It could be a married man and staying with the wife of your youth. So let me just say this first. Sidebar. Men, ladies, stay pure. God always honors obedience. <laughs> Secondly, I think it's interesting here too. They are obedient, it tells us in verse 4. They follow the lamb, Jesus, wherever he goes, completely yielded to him. It wasn't on again and off again, period, in their lives. There's no backsliders. They are sold out and probably persecuted and misunderstood. So there's this group, I believe, of followers who have lived on planet Earth who were all in. By the way, you're either following hard after Jesus or you're backsliding. There's no holding pattern. It's either one direction or the other. And this group had spent their lives following hard after Jesus, and they're being rewarded for it. The Bible also tells us this, that they tell the truth. There was no lie in their mouths. They speak truth even if it hurts, and they're not afraid to get criticism for speaking the truth. Verse 5b says that they live blameless lives, not sinless perfection, but a desire to live a righteous life. So why is this important? Because it says that they're given the first fruits of special position. And they're able to sing a new song that only they know. They have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's why I believe this is important. This isn't for them. It's for them to go to God and say, Jesus, I loved you so much that I was willing to pursue you my entire life. I was willing to remain morally pure. I was willing to take criticism and go against the grain. I was willing to always be following you so that you could get glory. You could get honor. Imagine being part of this inner circle of Christ. I tell you, that is incredible. Not for you, but to say, I loved you so much, Father God that I was willing to go all in for you. By the way, people have asked me often, do people have the same position, privileges, and power in heaven when we get there? We'll be like, well, you made it by the skin of your teeth. First Corinthians C, that's three tells us that there's people are, they're tested through a fire and those things that weren't done with good and noble desires or done for themselves will be burned away. And literally some of them will make us by the skin of our teeth and others will stand before God and we know that we'll give crowns and be rewarded crowns for what we've done for him. And in turn, we give them back to him. So yes, there will be different levels, different positions and privileges and powers. And why do I believe it? God always rewards obedience. Look at Matthew 25. I believe when we get to heaven, there will be certain people who will be in charge of certain parts of heaven because of their way. By the way, all heaven is good being there. But the reason isn't for us. It's to show God that we love him and to give him honor. Doesn't everyone want to make their father proud? So I ask you this. What kind of position are you taking for Jesus Christ? Are you living a comfortable life? Are you trying to like get rid of stuff that makes it hard for you to follow after Christ? And you're just like, wow, Pastor Jim, I'm waiting for the rapture too. I hope it comes today too. Take me home, Jesus. Are you living a life that's leading more to being more comfortable? Are you living a life that's pushing you to be more uncomfortable for Jesus? Why would we need to experience the great comforter, the Holy Spirit, if our lives are already comfortable? So out of this now, we got this, and it's like there's this great group, and then all of a sudden, God's fury and wrath is poured out. Here it comes. It's like full board, like all the vengeance from the beginning of time, God is about to blast planet Earth. Look at Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, John said, and I heard the eternal gospel proclaimed to those who live on the earth to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Oh boy, worship him who made the heavens of the earth and the sea and the springs. This language, this angel is yelling this out in a loud voice as these people are on earth. A second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is the Babylon the great, the false religion which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adultery. Then a third angel followed him and said in a loud voice, 
If anyone worships a beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their head, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. By the way, that's a great verse to refute someone who that they believe in annihilation, that when you die, you're done. Listen, there's no part about forever that isn't forever. When you go to hell, you will burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image. In other words, they're not asleep. They're not killed. There's no rest for them or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then John said this, then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Imagine it's like, okay. Blessed are the dead who die in the what? Lord, from now on. And so after this takes place, these angels speaking, God's wrath is unleashed. In fact, turn to 16, chapter 16. Let's see what he does. Look at these bold judgments. Chapter 16. Then John said, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. In other words, don't leave anything in. Don't leave any leftovers. Dump it. Turn it upside down. Go get that bowl that he's been waiting from the foundation of the world. Go get that fury that's been built up for all the sins of mankind and all the people that said, God, would you finally act? All the vengeance of man. Go get it. And so the angels go and get these bowls. And there's this picture that says it was poured out. In the Greek, it means they dumped it. There was nothing left. It was not just, woo, it was boom. Look what happens next. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land. An ugly, festering what? Sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now keep in mind something here. Sometimes we lose sight of this. There are tribulation saints alive. Now, you might think, that's great. Finally, God's acting. But listen, that made it more difficult for those who called themselves Christ followers who have the seal of God on their head because when they walked in the streets and down through wherever they were at, there were pestering sores on everyone who had the mark of the beast, but they didn't have one. And guess what? People knew who they were. They didn't go up to them and say, dude, what are you doing for your sores? They knew that they were following the God of the universe. Look what the next bowl judgment is. The second one, verse 3, poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned it into blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in the sea died. So the next judgment is the sea. Now imagine every living thing that swims, every living thing floats to the top all across planet Earth. Now, some of you have seen 10 or 15 or maybe a pile of fish that have laid there for a while and the stench and smell. Imagine every living creature floating to the top, dead. Next, God's vengeance and his fury coming out. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl in the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. In other words, there was no fresh water. Every water source was blood. Verse 5, then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgment, O holy one, you who are and who were. For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. Don't you just love that line? I'm sorry, I do. It's just, in other words, you want blood? Here you go. Verse 7, after I heard the altar respond, Yes, the Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were so seared by the intense heat that they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. But they refused to what? Pent and glorify him. Imagine being intense, having intense sunshine and scorched by the sun without having any fresh water to drink. By the way, you don't want to be left behind. If somehow you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to hold on. 
You don't want to be left behind. Look at the next bold judgment. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their what? Tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to what? Repent of what they had done. They gnawed their tongues in agony. Total blackout. Imagine how cold it was without sun. Verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty, the battle of Armageddon. And so the Euphrates River dries up. And why is this significant? Here's why it's significant. At that moment, when the Euphrates River dries up, at that very moment, and I'll do it in red, that moment is preparing the way for the great battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. And so the area is dry. And so soldiers are gathering from all ways and all places to come in for this great battle of Armageddon. And the demons are gathered for the battle of Armageddon. And the end is getting near. Now, it's getting near. Judgments are coming out. God's fury. And then there's this moment again. It's like, all of a sudden, Jesus speaks. John's been listening. And then all of a sudden, if you, if you have a Bible, I, I want to show you something. I want you to turn back to Revelation chapter 5. And if you don't, just look up here. I'll make it easier for you. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to walk you through the text here. And I want you to see something really, really significant. Just... Look at Revelation chapter 5. I'll preface this by saying this. Red letters aren't better than black letters. But red letters are where Christ spoke. All the letters are inspired. Look what happened. Revelation chapter 5. John speaks black letters. John continues to speak all dark letters. Revelation chapter 6. John speaks all dark letters. Revelation chapter 7. John speaks all dark letters. Revelation chapter 8. John continues to speak. All dark letters. Revelation chapter 9. John speaks. Black letters. Revelation chapter 10. John speaks. All black letters. Revelation chapter 11. John speaks. All black letters. Revelation chapter 12. John speaks. All black letters. 13. All black letters. 14. All black letters. John is speaking. 15. John is speaking. All black letters. 16. John is speaking. Whoa! In the midst of all that, what do you see? Look at my Bible. You see some red letters. I love this passage. And here's why. In the midst of all this pain and suffering, in the midst of all that God is doing, in the midst of this darkness and blood and death and stench, Jesus speaks to the remnant that's left, those tribulation saints who, who are holding on who are trying to discern who should I trust. And he speaks these words and look what he says. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed. In other words, walks in righteousness so as not to get naked and be shamefully exposed. Our God is a God of encouragement. Imagine... You're those tribulation saints, and it's like, you wonder if you can go on. And out of the heavens comes this voice that says, hold on. I'm coming. Hold on. It'll be worth it. Hold on. Stay faithful. Hold on. It's almost time. I love how our God encourages us, even in the midst of total chaos. And by the way, he's still speaking that to us today. And then, after these words, 17 says, The seventh angel poured out his bow into the air, 
And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is what? Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. And it says, no earthquake like it ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fury of his wrath. He just unleashed it. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones weighing about how much? 100 pounds fell on people and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. I don't know if you're a person who works out, but generally speaking, there's the largest dumbbells that you'll find are 60 pound dumbbells. That's heavy. And if you've ever dropped 60 pounds on your foot, it hurts. Imagine a hundred pound hailstones, not falling from your waist, but from the sky above, falling on people. And those who are remaining faithful watching, boom, 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 boom. It was God's sign saying, I'm coming and I can't be stopped. And we know that's true because we know the next event in eschatology is the second coming in the battle of Armageddon. And by the way, we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to be mounted on horses coming back too. Okay, what's this mean to us? I wish I had more time. This is what it means. You don't want to be left behind. This week I had the opportunity to sit with a man in my office, and another man in my office, the man that I'm referring to is in this service, and he's been begging and pleading for this friend of his to come to Christ, and he's been praying for him, and, and basically, he's been relentless until his friend received Christ. I mean, don't we all need friends like that? And so I was in this office with him, and by the way, this friend that wanted this friend to know Christ, Two years ago at a Wild at Heart Remix retreat, gave his life to Christ and recommitted, and something happened to him. And it's like all of a sudden he saw friends that needed Jesus and he wanted them to have what he had. And so I sat in the office with this man, and, and short and sweet is he trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior because of this brother who would not let his friend die and go to hell. I want to be that friend today for you. I don't preach this stuff just because it's good news. Let me ask you a personal question. Who's the last person Christ let you lead to Christ? Could you write a name down? Who is on your list right now that you are actively going after? Listen, if living with Jesus and rubbing into him doesn't cause you to share your faith, and you gotta ask the question, is the living God inside of me? Because he has radically changed us. Jesus has a plan called salvation. And he says, today can be the day of salvation. I want you to have what I have and many of us in this room in the link have, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because guess what? We fear not because God is on our side. Can I ask you this question today? Is there any part of you that wonders whether you truly have trusted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Are there anybody in these auditoriums and across the world on the internet that, that you're not certain? Are you in a holding pattern and been that way forever? Maybe, just maybe, you've never trusted Christ. It could happen today, though. This could be the day of salvation. This could be the day that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross could change you forever. It changed me back in 1967 in a musty Sunday school classroom by a sweet lady by the name of Mabel Hub who was relentless in her pursuit of seeing young kids come to Christ. I'm a product of her. I praise God for Mabel Hub. 
I want you to have what many of us have. You see, when I go to bed tonight, I'm broken for lost people because they go to bed in, in fear and, and wonder if they've done too much bad or to have too much sin or too much baggage. I go to bed and know that Jesus covered all that at the cross and I'm his kid and I sleep in peace. I want you to have that, not just a ticket to get out of hell, but to experience life, and freedom and joy and peace and that can only come through, through him and to know that I don't have to go through life, any decision. I have an advocate called the Holy Spirit and who prompts and pushes and fills me and, and comforts me. And, and when hardship comes, and it does, there's times I'm in tears and I'm crying out to God, I got a helper. I don't have to go in life alone. I want you to have him, but I can't do it for you. You're the one who has to receive this free gift called salvation. And let me tell you, it's good. It's really good. It's eternal good. It's life-giving good. And it will radically change your life forever. It's Jesus. Would you bow your heads and with me? And God, I, this moment is a holy moment and Please don't leave the room and stay and pray. This moment is a moment that could change eternity for people. And God, you've set a plan in place that's just beautiful. It's just, you're willing that none should perish. And I know in the main and the link, there's people who wonder and their heart is just bouncing inside of their chest right now. God, invade that spot, change their life. If that's you, if, if you're like, today's the day, I'm, I'm doing the deal. I'm, I'm trusting Jesus Christ. I'm walking away from this pattern. I believe that God died for my past and my junk and my sin. And I'm tired of carrying the baggage and believing the lies of the father of lies. And Jim, I'm stepping out. It's It's faith. I don't know what all of it means, but I know that I'm trusting Jesus and it's going to be a faith journey. Well, join the crowd. That's where we all did it one time. It'll be the best decision that you've ever made. Ever, 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 because it changes your life forever, ever, ever. If you want to trust Jesus Christ and repent of your sin and make him the Lord and leader of your life, I'm going to ask you to do something here in a second. But before that happens, uh, I've asked some people ahead of time just to work their way to the front. Would you do that quietly? In the main and the link. Just quietly move and... If you're in this room today and you're in the link and maybe you're way back in the back and you're, you've been coming and sitting on the fringes and... Or maybe your life is so messed up that you need hope and you've been trying to do it all yourself. There's a God who sent his son named Jesus to die for everything and to give you freedom and life and eternity with him. I beg you, I beg you for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. I beg you, I beg you. Trust Jesus today. Don't leave this room unless you know that you know. I'm going to ask that we stand in our auditoriums with our eyes still closed and, and just quietly stand there. If you're here today and you're in, you're in this main auditorium and you're in the link and you want to surrender to Jesus and you want to know, this is the day I drove a stake in the ground. This is the day I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and walk to the front. And before you do that, there are people on both sides of the aisles who, who've already made that decision. They just, they want to lovingly encourage you and they want to support you and say, it's worth it. They're there because there was a time when they did the same thing that you did. And I'll speak for them. They're grateful and eternally grateful that they did. So if you're in this room 
Would you just work your way to the front, just right up front in the main and the link, and just, just come. If you want to trust Jesus, I'm not going to prolong it. Just, just come. Knock someone over if you have to. Just come. Just come. We've already had people do that. Just come. Walk to the front, please. Don't be afraid. Just come. Make room for the front, would you? Make room for him. Make room for him. Don't stand there. If you're there and you're uncertain, this is a safe place. Just come. Trust Jesus Christ. Just come. Don't be afraid. If you have to walk with someone, walk with someone. Just come. Don't be afraid. We have time. I want to pray over you and across the front here. Brave, courageous. Listen to me. You're children of God. And God, I pray for your power to envelop them. And I pray, God, as the Spirit has now dwelt them, I pray that they feel comfort like they've never felt before because they didn't have it before. I pray you allow them to do things that they've never done before because they couldn't do it before without you. I pray, God, that you would recover stolen things that the enemy has taken. I pray for new ground. I pray for baggage to be dropped. I pray for addictions to fall away. I pray for hope to replace hopelessness. I pray for joy to overcome fear. I pray, Jesus, for unusual overflowing of your spirit upon these individuals. I pray, Holy Spirit, that they would become signposts and markers and lights and would illuminate your truth. And I pray that thousands would run to Jesus because of the steps that were made today by these individuals. I pray for healing to come to brokenness. I pray, Jesus, that you would get glory through this and we give you the credit. Thank you, God. I pray for courage that will come after this service when the enemy comes and he whispers lies. I pray that they will speak back boldly. Nuh-uh, my God says no. Oh, Jesus, may this begin a new revival in our hearts in the hearts of these people. And may this place become a mooring point of hope, faith, trust, and obedience. And may we never hold God and never have a holding pattern. May we always be pressing on to you. Thank you, God, for these individuals. Bless them. Encourage them. And may those around them do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.